This is 51st Dates, and I'm your host, Jolie Moore. They say that hindsight is 2020. I decided to find out if that's true. Every week, I'm going to read a chapter from my memoir, 51st Dates, then give you the backstory and commentary on what really went down. It's been two whole years since I went on these dates, and I'll be experiencing them along with you as I read. We'll find out together if my future self learned anything. I don't know if I have anything figured out, but at least we'll share some laughs along the way. Dating in Southern California is nothing if not entertaining. Ready? Strap in. Let's go. Welcome to 51st Dates, episode 30. I'm your host, Jolie Moore. How are you this morning? I am awake. There's that. Um, I have a lot of anxiety because I'm 99% certain I'm going to travel to Europe for the summer, but arranging tickets and dealing with my ex, like doing trying to do a handover in Europe, makes it hard. Um... I'm getting my hair done, which also causes me great anxiety always, and I'm not sure why. Um, My vanity exceeds my anxiety. I did something last week. Okay, you know, let me stop. Actually, interestingly, um, I'm sure I've spoken on here about my um, very religious friend. So I did write her a letter um, expressing my feelings and talking about how I felt invalidated when she was unable to sort of take in the fact that I had been in an abusive relationship. But interestingly, I did hear her back from her and she indicated that she got it. Um, And she said that she saw me and heard me and um, is thinking about her response. Also, she's going to move, which that's interesting. Um, I didn't respond because I just have a lot going on. Um, I think that I... I had a long week. Well, every week seems like a long week. Isn't that crazy? There's always a lot of stuff going on when it comes to dealing with uh, even the divorce post him signing, um, transferring property and all that. There's a lot of logistics. Um, And I'm really good at paperwork and bureaucracy logistics, but it's really not what I want to do all day. And yet, it's what I'm doing all day. Um, I think that the reason the week felt long is because... Wow, this is so hard. I don't know why this is so hard. I should probably quit this. I'm going to take a break. Can I tell you how many years I went stuffing my emotions down? And in a lot of ways, I miss it because right now I feel such, I don't know, sadness. I don't know. Wow, I don't know. Um, Actually, it's sadness. Uh, and grief, which I think is one of the hardest... Um, human emotions to process and okay I'm feeling grief because I had to I didn't have to do anything I had a hard weekend last weekend so I was spending time with this guy the one I need to quit and it was hard because I just watched someone in a shame spiral and um I was not unaffected by it, um, but it was, uh, you know, so it, I was, we were together for, well, Saturday night, and what I had to watch was him, like, alternating between him 
going through this like sort of shame about his feeling about his level of money and success and then alternatively him poking at me about his perception of the amount of money I have and my success um and it was really 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 uncomfortable um and at some point we're sitting down um so I'm not sure if I've mentioned this I talk about it all the time in life but maybe not on the podcast that when I was growing up my mother in addition to being like you know emotionally abusive um and sometimes physically was also an alcoholic so I don't know I would say she drank all of my life that I remember, but I don't remember it getting bad until like maybe I was like 13 or 14 or in the alternative, I finally just noticed. So it's, but it's hard to say, um, but I finally noticed that she would like go to the liquor store all the time and like hide the bottle in the back of the cabinet. And then like, um, she drank Dewar's and ginger and which is Dewar's whiskey and, um, ginger ale. And so the whiskey bottle would always be hidden in the pantry or whatever, a cabinet. And she would pour ginger ale and then go in the, go in the pantry and pour in the alcohol and then come out and act as if she just had like a really active ginger ale habit. Um, and she drank Canada dry ginger ale. I can tell you all of that because the details are um, pretty well, I remember everything. Um, so this guy for a long time, I have thought that I had thought that his mother was an alcoholic and I asked him like a bunch of different ways when well, never directly. I don't think, because I don't think I would not do that. Um, and I never mentioned to him that my mother was an alcoholic. It's, it's something I talk to other people about, but with men, I have my own shame spiral, so I try to keep it cool. And if I'm the cool girl or whatever, I can't, you know, be all like a fucking mess. Um, so I've never mentioned it, but I know I recognize the behavior. Like, I can't even explain it, but I recognize he acts just like me, so I, I, I got it. And I was like, well, the reason I act like this is, according to my therapist, who knows, is because my mother was an alcoholic and I grew up a certain way. And he acts exactly that way. So I asked him like a bunch of different ways that are, I, I can have subtlety. It doesn't sound like it, but I totally can do subtle. But I asked him a bunch of different ways um, if he had a parent with an alcohol problem or whatever. And he has fucking denied it forever. And then we were talking about something else. Um, we were actually talking about est estrangement. Um, and I was saying that I was estranged to my mother. I had actually said it to a different friend um, earlier that same day on Saturday. And I said, oh, I was estranged from my mother. Um, and he didn't ask why. He's like, he looks at me, he goes, well, family estrangement doesn't work. And he said, cutting people off doesn't work. And I'm like, what? What? Like, you know, it's like I walked into a different conversation. And I was like, what are you saying? And he was like, well, I tried to cut off my mother for three years and it didn't work. And I was like, well, what were you trying to achieve? And he was like, well, she was an, a raging alcoholic. And I thought if I cut her off, then she would stop drinking. 
I'm not sure like how he thought what he did could affect her, but neither here nor there. Um, and he looks at me and he's like, but it didn't work. Um, he's like, I only ended up hurting myself. And I was like, okay. Um, and I said, so I, I look, I got defensive and I said, well, when do you think estrangement is appropriate? And he was like, um, basically if there's like rape in your family, um, maybe incest, I don't know. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't spiral into that. Or in the alternative, if like, like somebody murdered someone and I thought that's pretty dire, <laughs> like if that's your cutoff for, um, whatever, that's, <laughs> that's your line in the sand, that's your line in the sand. And I didn't acknowledge that because I'm not even going to, I'm not defending myself because I feel that what I did was valid. So I um, said to him, I was like, oh, your mom was an alcoholic. Ding, ding, ding. I did not say that part. I thought it. Um, I said, oh, my mother was an alcoholic too. I said, well, how is it? He's like, oh, well, she's five years sober. She goes to AA all the time. Um, and like, as if he had like clapped his hands together and said, it's all cured. It's as if it didn't happen. And I didn't say anything for a second. And I don't know what I was going to say. My brain was spinning out with, I'm not crazy. I knew it. So that's where I was. And he looks at me and he goes, but it didn't affect me. And I like literally probably should have got up then and taken my toys and went home. Instead, I drank some wine. The irony is not lost on me there. And I was like, I cannot believe that you are going to sit here and say that growing up with your mother, who was this alcoholic, didn't affect you when I am sitting here right now looking you in your face seeing the effects. I'm seeing you in this freaking shame spiral. I'm seeing you have issues with how ambitious you feel you should be um, versus the success that you've achieved so far. And I was just like, this is like craziness, but it, I couldn't, what I really think I should have done in that moment was be a lot more empathetic but I couldn't muster it up mainly because that was followed by him poking at me for whatever, for not having gone to McDonald's a lot as a child, which I didn't. Um, and he was like, well, if you'd grown up with less money, you would like in a working class family, you would you know much better understand McDonald's. I don't know. Or the fact that I don't, um, well, anyway, we're not going to get into the things I don't do. Um, I did grow up differently. I don't have anywhere to put that. And I, I, I want to have empathy, but then he was just not nice. So we're sitting around, um, I don't know, like I, our relationship is undefined or maybe it is defined as casual uh, although what I'm describing to you <laughs> is not casual. So we're sitting around, you know, talking or whatever. And at some point, um, he looks at me and he's like, 
well, I, I, I'm going to cut to the chase because you don't need all the preface, but I've decided to get married and have children. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, clearly, I, I, look, I know I plan, I don't plan to get married and I don't plan to have children and I don't plan to marry this guy and I'm never going to have this guy's children. So I know that he knows that, but that doesn't mean that when he said that, it didn't hurt. Actually, look, in the moment, I was just kind of so shocked by it because he made a joke like right after that. And I was just like, maybe he made a joke because of my face. It's hard to know. Like, I don't think I was looking at him then. And <sighs> we were laying in bed cuddling. Like, this is so crazy. Um, and I don't know what I felt at that moment. Um, to be frank, I was just so surprised that he'd made this 180 from somebody who could give or take relationships and could give or take children that I think I was frankly just shocked. Um, and then I don't know, we had sex and did something else like, you know, whatever and chatted about fucking something else, movies or whatever. And he was like trying to send me home with like DVDs. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm ever going to see you again. I'm not taking anything from your apartment. And I, okay, I'm going to be frank. It was only when I told this story to my therapist and she made a face. So she doesn't have a poker face and she sort of made a face. And I was like, why'd she make that face? So, you know, three days later, it's only like up to like, so I saw him Saturday. I talked to my therapist on Tuesday. By Thursday, I was biking. And I thought to myself, I think that was insensitive at best and unkind at worst. Because he knows that I would pursue a relationship with him more than whatever we're doing. And yet he gave me his big fucking COVID revelation about how now now he wants this um and i guess the unspoken part was not with you uh, and i was like i don't think he meant it in an unkind way but it was so hard to like pick it because it was just like i was walking in like a field of brambles the entire time i spent with him and it was just like the last bramble but it was just extra pokey you know i mean I, whatever. And so like by Thursday, I was like, okay, I really need to get out of this because I'm only, I don't even know if I'm like having fun anymore. I just feel hurt a lot of the time that we're together. Um, and not joy and not fun, none of it. And so I sat down and like over Thursday and spun around in my chair. I'm still not writing. I'm taking a break from writing for a little bit. I sat down in my chair and I wrote him a Dear John letter. His name, by the way, is not John. And I had to, I sat down and wrote a letter because I don't know any other way to break it off with him. Because whenever I try to do it in person, he basically talks me out of it. Um, you know, he talks me out of it. And... 
I don't know why he talks me out of it, considering that I'm neither marrying him nor having his babies. So that I find confusing. Um, I don't find it confusing. Yes, I do. If he doesn't want to be with me, then why will he not walk away? It's the question I ask myself every freaking time I'm looking at him. I'm like, here you are. We're spending time together. We're mostly having a good time. And yet you want something different. So then why don't you go pursue that different thing that you want um, and leave me out of your mess? Um, I know why I can't quit him. I just don't know why he can't quit me. Um, Even though maybe he wants to. I don't know. So I I sat down and wrote this long letter um, about... Well, I just wrote a letter saying that we need to... We need to let it go. Actually, I sent it to a friend. You know, you have the one friend, the one who like will really tell you how it is. Um, And I hadn't told her that I was like hanging out with this guy because I knew she just she's not judgmental and she didn't say anything. But I know that like if I asked her opinion about it, she'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? So I sent her the letter. I was like, is this okay? I don't want to come off as like the crazy person because spending all your time as the cool girl means that you can't be the crazy girl. You don't want to be anybody's crazy ex. And she looked at the letter and she was like, "Mm, beautifully written, but it's not clear that you're really, really cutting him off. And I was like, oh, maybe I need to revise it. So I, I did fix it. I told him that at the end that I really, really need him to not reach out to me. Um, but I know that what I really need to do is do that. And then I need to block him and I've never blocked anybody. And the concept, it just feels hard. It feels hard because I find him really compelling and, um, (laughs) but it's really hurtful at the same time. So that's the week I had. I think the other thing I started doing this week is I'm back to reading Brene Brown for some reason, I really struggled with her books when I read them a few years back because I was looking for like five bullet points on how to live your life bravely or five bullet points on how to be more vulnerable or five bullet points on how to get into the arena. And I didn't feel that I got that. Um, So I took them out and I'm rereading them. I'm starting with Rising Strong. And to be frank, I think she does give those answers. She's like, if you want to be vulnerable, you have to share who you are. And if you want to stop spiraling in shame, that you have to bring it to the light and you have to apply empathy. Like, she's clear. I don't know why I couldn't see it, but she's clear. Um, So I think the thing, so I need to let this guy go and I know it and I'm, (laughs) I'm struggling. Like, I mean, I have his email. I could just send him the letter by email. Um, and then I was like, no, 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 I got to give it to him in person because um, I got to try to have the talk um, with him in person for the 9,000th time. But um, I have done none of those. I have done nothing. I have done nothing. Um, but I do plan to take action. I just don't know how to do it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I want to say this. I really have great adoration for who he is. But I also have great compassion for the man he's not ready to be. And I think I'm ready to live a life that's equal parts brave and vulnerable. And he's not. And it's as simple as that.
That was a long intro today, so let me move on to chapter 29, The Sociologist, July. I'd been only occasionally messaging various guys until I matched with The Sociologist. He was 32 and was a dead ringer for Peter, Peter McNichol, if Peter McNichol was 32. Think Ally McBeal McNichol, not Veep McNichol. A sociologist by profession, he was in the middle of pursuing his PhD. I can't say why he stood out, but he did. The conversation on Tinder started like many of them did, I think. The sociologist, hey ho, luckily I love kissing, and I'll be back on town on Monday. Till when are you staying? Me, I live here half the year, here next week, then traveling to a few cities before I come back home. The sociologist, oh cool, and what brought you to town? I'm arriving Monday quite late. Could you, would you be up for meeting around 10 p.m.? The sociologist. By the way, how about adding each other on Facebook? That was my first Facebook invitation. Classic car guy claimed not to use Facebook, but he had an account. It was, of course, a picture of his car, which he'd texted me, which is how I knew it was him, even though he used a different name on Tinder. Friending Thunderbolt had been a huge deal for him. Like somehow I was going to openly acknowledge him on that platform. I'd never do it because I had a lot more to lose than he did with a jealous and erratic ex, but I didn't tell him that. This connection was so open and honest, he probably hooked me in with that. Oh, and being cute, of course. Really cute. And only in only the way a man in his early 30s can be. Me? I have an early morning breakfast, so 10 is too late. Time for coffee or a drink another day? July 17. The sociologist added you. Also, your site seems cool. I guess we'll need to meet next week then, but a drink would be lovely. You know what I have a weakness for? The word lovely. Thunderbolt used it, and so did this guy. It's a delightful word that warms my heart. It's the magic key to getting into my pants. After that, he stopped messing me on Tinder, moved to Facebook. The sociologist, hey, men are so original like that. I so often wonder what happens in their brains. I can't believe we let them run countries. Me? Hey there. Irony completely lost on him. Traveling today? The sociologist, hey ho, yep, I'm a bit sad we can't meet today. You seem so cool and interesting and also very cute. I never know what to say to this. Not the first time, not the 50th. I had almost zero control over my looks. That? That was genetics. I do the best with what I have, but it's not what defines me. Me? Thanks. Just got back from breakfast. Meals are long here, and I have to work. As I like to keep a roof over my head, how's your week looking? The sociologist. Well, right now I'm out of town and should get working, as my connecting flight only leaves in the evening. Tomorrow, I'll go to my workplace and then to a festival. How about you? What are you working on? Monday, 3.58 p.m. Me? I'm a writer. So writing. I'm working on the last book in a trilogy. It's a romance where it takes the couple 20 plus years to finally get together. It's one of my favorite ones. Which festival? I'll need a, I'll be at a meta, medieval one this weekend. What do you do for work? The sociologist? Oh, nice. And do you take inspiration from your life? What kind of connections are you looking for? I'll be at a music festival at the lake. Would you like to visit me? I'm a sociologist. That first question was the one I hated the most. I know it was inspired by my occupation list on my, on my profile. And I'd done just that to get the creepy questions out of the way. The two people who didn't ask, up front at least, were Classic Car Guy and Thunderbolt. They surely asked later, but not at first. It's kind of exhausting. If I wrote books, say, about serial killers, I doubted I'd get the same question. 
The irony of all this was that readers often said that they loved my sex scenes. I'd had so little sex in my real life before my divorce, I'm sure they'd be surprised that it was all imagination. Probably mostly my most inspired work. Me? I haven't been able to the lake in a couple of years. Zero inspiration from life. Ah, the what are you looking for question. And here, I was straight up honest. Me? I thought I knew the answer to that last month or last year. Now, who knows? I'm mostly interested in meeting and getting to know new people and seeing where it goes, which is probably a very wishy-washy answer. The sociologist. I don't think there's anything wrong with this answer. What happened last month? Anyways, I was asking you because you should know that I'm in an open relationship, so I'm looking for friends and maybe sensual connections. Definitely not one night stand, but also not a super serious relationship. I didn't answer about what had happened last month. I was thrilled not to be crying about classic car guy most days. Still dreamed about him a lot of nights, but the days were something I'd gotten a handle on. The only thoughts were fond ones of someone who seemed genuinely to like me, which I'd rarely experienced, and post-mortems on why I ignored the fact that he stood me up about half the time. Was it lack of self-esteem or fear of confrontation? I was still working at the, that puzzle most days. I got offline and got back to the business of writing and parenting. The sociologist, three hours later. Hope I didn't scare you away. Me? No, just busy working. Not scared. I was on the bus when I was messaging before. The sociologist? Okay, then I'll wait for your answer. Me? I have dinner in a bit, but I'm open to something casual. The sociologist? Perfect. That's what I'm looking for, too. Something longer, Tim, based on friendship, but no expectations whatsoever. Just pure fun. Me? I think we're very much on the same page. In my head was a ringing sound because I think he'd mastered the message game. He was up for something casual, but not a one-off. Clearly, I'm not opposed to a one-off, but that's honestly a bit of work. I didn't want to have to repeat time and again while I was out of West Hollywood for the summer. A regular guy was something that Thunderbolt had come to make me appreciate. Go him. The sociologist. Smiley face emoji. Can't wait to meet how do you usually have free time? The one thing about summer is that I have my kid full time, no respite. Very occasionally, I have a babysitter, but 99% of the time, he's with me. That means I do all my socializing, museum visits, and work during the eight hours he's at day camp. That worked when I was married. Even though the marriage was a disaster, I never cheated. So there was no way I could do what I did in LA and step out late at night for a drink, nor could I invite anyone over. But I was willing to meet for coffee or a drink and if it was promising, I could make arrangements. Once the sociologist understood these limitations, he did something surprising, accommodated them. He was away for the weekend in a nearby town at the lake for four days with friends. I was quite surprised when he said he'd be willing to come back so we could meet. I really had to sit with that for a good 12 hours. Getting Classic Car Guy to meet me when we were both free and only a few miles apart was like an act of Congress. Obviously, as the last two times he stood me up brought me to my breaking point, or breaking up point. And this guy, whom I'd never met in person, who did not profess to like me, adore me, want to be with me, was willing to take a break from time with his friends and drive back to meet me. All he wanted in return was a commitment that I'd meet him if he made the effort. I was willing to travel a half mile if he traveled 30. So a two o'clock meeting was proposed, I accepted. The sociologist, let's meet at the park. We can just walk around, or if there's chemistry, we can walk towards my place. There was no equivocation in that. If I was game, I was going to get laid. For all the dates I'd been on, 
I hadn't been nervous except for Classic Carbine and Thunderbolt, maybe because I liked them the best. Before I left my house, I was nervous. Get up from the computer and get out the vacuum nervous. Take a second shower nervous. Consider then abandon the idea of polishing my toenails nervous. But he'd already come 30 miles from the festival ground, so I had to get off my butt and make the trip, even though there was a strong urge to stay home and hide behind the glow of the laptop screen. I usually love my body more days than not, but for some reason this last week there hasn't been much love. It was inching up on half past the hour, and I wasn't going to get any thinner or any prettier in the next five minutes. I set out at 1.30 and made the walk to the bus. We were going to meet in a local park. That was a first. Like always, I was there early. I took a seat on a bench about 50 feet from where we were supposed to meet and picked up my Kindle to calm me down. Unfortunately, the pigeons thought I was there to give them treats, damn you people who feed these flying rats, and swarmed around me. I put the e-reader away, took out my phone, and messaged him. A guy had to be better than pigeons any day. Me? I'm here. What are you wearing? The sociologist. Blue shirt. I'm at the meeting spot. Me? I'm on a bench being heckled by pigeons. The sociologist. Hmm. He was exactly who he said he was. His pictures were definitely an accurate representation of who he was. Probably the most honest guy I'd met on Tinder. Thunderbolt's pictures were at least two years old, as were classic car guys. They'd won me over because they were both good with words and still cute in person, if a bit older. There wasn't a single thing about this guy that didn't work for me, so I did something I'd never done. When the sociologist asked, so do you want to go somewhere or back to my place? I said, your place. One of my rules had been never to go to a guy's place. Not the first time we met, but I was in my summer place and felt all the more trusting for that. I couldn't say why, but I did. Although maybe it was because it had a murder rate that was like a thousandth of Southern California's or because guns were mostly illegal. I live just over there, he said, pointing toward the river. How did you end up there? I asked. Inherited the place from my grandparents, he acknowledged. I have to apologize, though. It's messy. I've been traveling so much, I haven't had a chance to clean. Flashback to visiting Thunderbolt's place for the first and only time. Since it's been pretty much established that my house is fairly neat, I have no idea how to interpret other people's messes. I couldn't even wrap my head around what level of mess would make me turn tail and run. We walked a few blocks to his place, and I held my breath. He stuck the keys in the lock, and I followed him in. It was both better and worse than I expected. It was the oddest combination of bachelor pad layered on top of old people's stuff. Coffee? Tea? Wine? Beer? I checked my watch. It was 2.30. I took the wine. Happy that I had take the bus to pick up my kid and didn't have to drive it all during the summers, so day wine was okay. It was a crisp Greek wine. He cleared a bunch of travel receipts from his couch, and I took a seat. He sat close enough to touch, and we talked about travel mostly. He'd been away, I was going away, and we compared notes. Halfway through my wine, he put his hand on my denim-clad thigh and looked at me. Can I kiss you? For a moment, it was a total throwback to high school when I dated a boy who asked me that. I nodded, and he leaned in. I realized then that if I were in charge of these damn dates, they'd never go anywhere. Drummer Boy made the first move. Classic Car Guy did as well. Thunderbolt had his memorable break the ice line and just in time took charge. The kiss wasn't perfect, wasn't going to set the world on fire, but it was good enough. Then he leaned in closer and kissed me on the neck. When my ex had done that, I'd hated it. Always worried he was going to somehow strangle me. The feeling here was the exact opposite. It felt amazing. It also made me just a little bit uncomfortable because it was such an intimate act. 
When he sat back to take a breath, I held up the goblet of wine in my hand. Let me put this down, I said. I had a red wine accident last month, and I don't care to repeat it. I took a big sip of the wine, then set it on the table. Do you want to go into the bedroom, he asked. That was it. The reason I'd been on Tinder. Like the reason he'd been on Tinder. Sure, I stood and followed him through the door to the large room that held his bed as well as a computer and other work stuff. From a moment, we talked about his ergonomic chair. Then I took a seat on his covers, white with huge green leaves. The sociologist stretched out, I lay down, and he kissed me in earnest. I closed my eyes and enjoyed it. My shirt was the first to go, then his. I could feel his hand against the smooth back of my bra and almost laughed at what I knew would be a perplexed face if I could see it. How do you? I sat up, took the front clasp in hand, and made the magic happen. Then he really made the magic. For some reason, I thought that sex outside of LA would be vastly different, but it wasn't. It was very much the same, and he was very good. I came twice before he even took off his pants. Once I recovered, I gestured toward his khaki shorts. A week or two before this, I was listening to one of the sex podcasts, and one of the guests was saying that every time you meet a new man, you never knew what you were going to find when you opened his pants. It was a little, she said, like unwrapping a gift and not knowing what you were getting. For me, it was like choosing a door on Let's Make a Deal. What kind of penis am I going to get today? Before his orange boxer briefs came off, there was one thing I was pretty sure of. His penis would be uncut. The place where I summered is known for keeping boys uncircumcised. Before Classic Car Guy, I'd never seen one on an adult man before. I was 99% sure that's what was coming out. I wasn't disappointed about that. I put my hand around it, and it was the smallest I'd ever felt. Despite my inability to keep most things for myself, I didn't comment on that. Once I jerked him once or twice, he wasn't thinking much about anything, I had to say, no doubt. I was working on how to deal with the condom issue. Mine were in my purse by the front door. I had no idea what he had or where it might be when he came all over my leg. That problem was solved in an instant. I took myself to the bathroom to wash up. He wanted to cuddle when I came back. I did for as long as I could be still, which for me wasn't very long. Then I sat up and started putting on my clothes. My girlfriend and I have an open arrangement because she's out of town for the next four months, he volunteered. I get it, I said. My regular guy asked me if I was going to take a lover over the summer. What's he like? Before I can think better of it, I answered. We're friends on Facebook. He's a filmmaker. Then I proceeded to tell him about the damn movie that Thunderbolt had on the circuit. Sometimes my mouth does not keep up with my brain on using discretion. Can we do this again? Monday, he asked, when I was done singing Thunderbolt's praises. Maybe, probably, I said, but with travel, I'm not sure. I might have some last-minute errands. Let me know, he said, as he watched me try to fasten my front clasping bra for the umpteenth time. Damn thing, I swore. You should leave it, he said. It's sexy as hell. Maybe, I said, but I certainly can't get on the bus like this. His smile was slow, knowing. No, probably not. I waited a good seven hours before I texted him. Fed the kid? Did the bath routine, cook the dinner, wash the dishes. I don't know what the urges I have to reach out, but clearly I hadn't overcome it. I messaged, thanks for a delightful afternoon. I hope you got a good nap in. Have a good festival weekend. Let's talk. Maybe we can get together early next week. The sociologist, yes. It was really lovely to meet. Hope we'll see each other Monday. Didn't, then I didn't see him again for another two weeks. I took my kid on a trip. Then I went on a solo trip myself. Uh, 
Uh, my recollection is that the errands did get away from me. Um, I had to take my kid to his dad, which involved a plane ride, but my kid and I took a trip before that. Um, then I dropped him off with his dad, and then I flew somewhere else <laughs> to take um, another trip. Gotta love a cheap summer flight. Um, just to like decompress from dropping my kid off, not having him all the time as I was used to. Um, whatever craziness my ex had, I knew I needed to just, I needed the time. So I flew and spent some time by myself, um, on the ocean, on the beach. Um, and I'm not a beach person or an ocean person. Um, so I mostly biked, but I did, uh, hang out, although there was this horrible, horrible heat wave. Um, I had to learn uh, a different word. I learned a lot of words for heat wave and a lot of foreign languages, but it, there was a heat wave. So that, the sociologist, um, I'm still friends with him on Facebook. Um, I still talk to him from time to time. Obviously with the pandemic, uh, last summer in 2020, I didn't summer. So I didn't see him, um, which is why I'm like itching to get tickets and do it now. I, he, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with him. Cute guy. Um, I don't have any thoughts about the girlfriend. I am not sure she exists or maybe she exists. Hmm. Okay. In, in the chapter, he said, you know, she's away for four months. I don't know, getting her own PhD or at school or whatever. And, um, I took that at face value and I didn't like investigate that too deeply, but, um, He's been messaging me on Facebook because I didn't come back <laughs> because of COVID. <laughs> and he's like, oh, we'll get together when we come back. And now I want to know what happens to the girlfriend because we just message like goofy stuff um, from time to time. And I just realized I didn't ask uh, about that. Um, but if I see him, um, if I get to summer again, yay, um, I will ask all about that um, because I don't want to be mucking around in other people's territory. Whew. Um, it was a long intro, so I will save you from the outro. The sociologist was cute. He was fun. He was nice. He was kind. I still talk to him. I may see him again, and I have nothing bad to say about him. I'm Jolie Moore, and this has been 51st Dates, the podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I hope you'll share, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. It will help others find the craziness that is dating in Southern California. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you'd like to read ahead, my memoir, 51st Dates, is available wherever books are sold. A link is always included in the show notes. I'm also a romance writer. If you want to know more about my books, please visit joliemore.com for more information. You can also follow me on Instagram at xojoliemore and on all social media at the same handle, XO Jolie Moore. Thanks for listening, and I'll be in your ears next week.